0: Uh, and we were moving up to, to uh, we just felt like God was giving us, you all know this, God was giving us this call to come and serve this church, First Baptist Church of Cottonwood, California. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And I was, uh, so I was, I was down there and we were getting ready and I was, um, I was with this group of pastors and I was sharing with them uh, what this new journey of our, our life was going to look like. There were some unknowns, obviously, and and a lot of change for our family, a lot of shift and adjustment, Uh, but you know, we're excited what we're doing, who we're joining, what our city is like. We're talking about our hopes and dreams. We're talking about just praying what God would do in this new season. God, what are you going to do? And I had lots of different ideas and lots of possibilities and lots of theories of what it could look like and and how it might play out and how it might manifest itself and what the tangible pieces might start to be. And one of these men, who is a wise young pastor whom I deeply respect and admire, he said this to me, and I hope and I pray that I will never, ever, ever forget it. He said, if the people in your city know your church because your members love Jesus and they love their community, it doesn't matter what you do. God will build his church. And to this day, I cannot get those words out of my head. They will know your church Because your members love Jesus and they love their community. And those words have continued to stir and well up inside of me. Because at the end of the day, as a pastor, as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, all that I want to do, the only thing that I want to do, is to pursue Jesus at all costs. To be known by him and to know him. To be loved by him and to share with others the same love with which I have been loved. That's really all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. Because the love of Jesus the grace of God, the refreshment of the Holy Spirit, those things permit me to stand here week after week and to teach his word and proclaim his name. And as I have prayed and conversed and communed with other people, I have come to this realization. The only thing that I would pray that our church be known for is loving Jesus with everything that we are and chasing after him with everything that we have. There are lots of other things that we could be known for, don't get me wrong. There are lots of other things that we could be known for, some good, some fine, some nice, some awful and terrible things that we as a church could be known for, our reputation could be. But following Jesus, chasing after him, that's worth doing. It's the only thing that I can think of that is worth doing. I've tossed about lots of other ideas in my head. What could, we, what could we do? The only thing that I ever want to do is just follow Jesus. And as a church, that's all I want us to do, is follow Jesus. So this stirring up and this simmering and boiling over of this desire and passion has brought about our message this morning. We're going to take a break from uh, our series on the book of Philippians. I know we were almost there. And I'm so grateful for, uh, for Pastor Bill. I call him Pastor Bill. Pastor uh, Bill. Speaking last week, and uh, while me and my family were uh, away, I was speaking at a, uh, a winter retreat for some junior hires in, in Tahoe. And um, it was a great time. We really enjoyed it. Lots of snow, snowball fights with my kids. Um, but we're back, and I felt like I can't go forward until we, we do this. I cannot move forward until we do this. So I promised we were going to come back to the book of Philippians. We're going to finish it out. I will finish what I started. But as we talked with our elders, and I've spent some time talking with God, I think that this this hiatus, this seven-week hiatus, is going to be worth it. So we're going to begin a new seven-week series this morning called Follow. Follow a journey toward life in Christ. Now, whether you are a lifelong Christian or you're brand new to this thing that we call the church and Christianity, and if you are welcome, I'm so glad you're here. This is probably a great time. You can never stop learning and leaning into what it means to follow him. You can never stop doing this. At no point in your Christianity are you going to say, I followed as much as I need to follow. I don't need to do that anymore. You can never stop leaning into what it means to follow him. To be a real, genuine disciple of Jesus. And the reason why I think this is so important, so essential to our reason for being here, right now, assembled together in this being, in this building, is because a real relationship with the Father and the Creator of all things starts with your heart. It starts with your heart. Now that's not to say that coming to church regularly or or going to Bible studies and tithing and reading devotionals won't help your spiritual life. These are helpful and valuable things, and they're used by God to cultivate this relationship, to further it, to deepen it, to sustain it. But the whole point of those practices is to cultivate and deepen relationship, to expand the space of your heart where the Father is permitted to dwell. To expand the space of your heart where the Father is permitted to dwell. In any religious practice, where we begin to presume that we understand everything, where God stops being a person to love and trust, and starts becoming an idea to comprehend or a system of moral fortitude, we will miss the Father. We will miss the Father. If God becomes a system or an idea, we have missed him. We will miss the Father in the midst of the practice. Real relationship with the Father. Real following after God does not start with practice. It does not start with intellect. It does not start with ritual. It starts with your heart. So the other reason why we are learning what it means to follow is this. See, I want us to be a church that makes followers of Jesus. I want us to be a church that makes followers of Jesus. And the only way that we can make followers of Jesus is by being followers of Jesus ourselves. You cannot lead if you are not following. You cannot lead if you don't know how to follow. You have to follow before you can lead. Have you ever been on an airplane? Have you ever ridden, like, a, just a big old 747? Okay. So what do they do before taking off? What is, like, the standard procedure of what they do? They do this safety demonstration, right? The pilot goes overhead, the, um, the, the stewardesses, they, they hold up seatbelts and things and all sorts of stuff, right? They say, you know, the exits are here, 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 and over there, right? Just in case you need to know here's how you buckle your seatbelt. It's easier said than done. Don't make any phone calls, right? These are like the standard safety procedures. And most of that, like, we've, we've heard it enough times. If you've flown enough, you just start tuning it out. You're like, I've heard this a million times. But there's one thing that always gets me every time. They always say, in case of a drop in cabin pressure, the oxygen masks will deploy. Now, the rest of them like, I don't buckle my seatbelt, whatever, and... Exits are here, I get it. But they're like, in case the, the air in your plane leaves the plane and you start to suffocate, <laughs> these masks are going to come down and save your life. Oh, okay. My, I, you have my attention now. I, I, I'm following you. So the mask stops and they say, what do you do? Take the mask, put it over your head and this mask is going to send you life-preserving oxygen to breathe when there is now none, and otherwise you'll suffocate and die. Okay. Now, what happens when a child is sitting next to you? See, our impulse, my impulse for sure, help them first, and then help yourself. Put the oxygen mask on them, save their life, and then I'll save my own. See, because in in my mind, I'm like, well, that's the selfless thing to do. It's the honorable thing to do as a child. I'll help everybody I can, and then I'll help myself last. But the pilot says something different. The pilot says, first place the oxygen mask on yourself, and then the child. And the reason why they say this is because if you run out of oxygen while you're trying to get a mask over a screaming, fidgety, like wriggling child, which is not easy, And if you run out of oxygen while you're trying to do that, and you pass out, then the child passes out, and nobody gets the oxygen. The only way to save both of you, the pilot says, first you need to receive breath in your own lungs, and then you can offer breath to the child. You have to have the breath of life in your own lungs before you can provide the breath of life to your child. So the point of this illustration is this. You can only share that which you already have. You can only share that which you already have. I mean, that's the whole idea of generosity, right? What is generosity? Those who have, share. Those who have not, receive, from those who have, generosity. But the whole point is, you have to have it first. You have to have it first. I can't share a million dollars with you if I don't have a million dollars. I would love to share a million dollars with you, but I don't have a million dollars, I can't share it. I want to, I could try, but it's not going to work because I don't have anything to give you. That's the idea. Can you share the love of the Father? A continuous, steady stream of breath and spirit that fills your lungs and refreshes your soul if you have not yourself experienced the love of the Father. Can you share the life-changing love of the Father if you have not experienced the love of the Father? Can you teach others to follow Jesus if you do not know how to follow? How can you lead if you don't know how to be led? We need to become followers. We need to become followers. So that's where this series has come about. It has been stirring up in my heart and I cannot escape it. So I have to speak it. And it is why it is so important that we as a church commit to following Jesus. So after this, after the next six weeks following this, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through step by step what it means to be a follower of Jesus who makes followers of Jesus. Again, if that's all we want to do, then let's start now. Let's be followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. And these six steps, they're actually six steps Verbs, because following is an action. It's not an idea. It's not a piece of knowledge that you learn and ingest. It is action. So here are the six verbs. Believe. Can you believe that God is exactly who he says he is? Repent. Is there anything too broken in you that God cannot heal? follow? Are you truly willing to go with Jesus wherever he leads you? Remain. When you become discouraged, will you walk away or will you stay with him? Share. Are you an individual or do you belong to a family? Multiply. Will you lay down your life? So that another can live. So next week we're going to begin uh, learning what it means to believe. But today we need to set the stage for where we're going. And again, it starts with your heart. And you'll notice that with each of these verbs, not one of them is possible if you have not first been transformed You have to receive before you can give. You have to be led before you can lead. So our our passage this morning is from the prophet Ezekiel. And uh, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 36. So if you have it in your Bibles, you can turn there. And we will have it up on the screen. So here's what's going on in this book, the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, by the way, is a, it's a crazy book, all right? There is some like, there is some crazy things going on in the book of Ezekiel. It's really fun to read. It's also really confusing sometimes. But here's what's going on in the, in the book of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel, God's people, they have this, this temple that they built so that God's presence could dwell in it. They said, God, we're going to build you an amazing house and you're going to dwell and your holiness is going to be there. And so revered and so honored, it's just going to be amazing. And the presence of God is dwelling there like a cloud, this huge cloud that sort of envelops the whole temple. And if God's presence is there, then that means that God is protecting the city. That means that he is blessing the land. That means that he is preserving his people. He's taking care of them. But then Ezekiel, he has this vision. Prophets have these visions. And he sees that Israel has stopped following. They don't love each other. They don't keep God's statutes about living for God. They aren't sharing the blessings that they have been given. They are reflecting their God-given identity as his children. They have been unfaithful to him. They've been adulterous to him. And God says that they are so gross and dirty and filthy that his clean, pure presence... Cannot stay with them. So Ezekiel is standing up on this high place and he's watching as God's presence, this cloud of glory, it lifts up, it rises up out of the temple, and it heads east towards the mountains. God's presence leaves Israel. Israel no longer reflects to the world what it means to be loved and changed by a father. They can no longer share the blessings of life and spirit because they wasted it. Any effort that Israel makes to represent Yahweh from this point forward without the presence of God is a false image. It's an incomplete view. It is no longer we are protected by God. We are rescued by God. We are loved by God. We are changed by God. It is now rule following and pride and selfishness. That is the image reflected. Now can you see in your own lives how not following God but living like a Christian can present that sort of view to the rest of the world if you're not living as a child of God. And so the first 30 chapters of the book of Ezekiel, it's a long book, they're basically detailing how Israel has messed up and fallen apart and blown their opportunity to be God's children. And Yahweh, God, is revealing sin and disobedience and unfaithfulness. And what's going to happen to Israel now that his presence is no longer with them? Instead of protection, they're going to be conquered. Instead of preservation, they're going to be decimated. Instead of being one people with God, they're going to be dispersed, split apart. They are no longer a nuclear family. It's a sad day for Israel. But then God says this. Then God says this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. One day, one day this will happen. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to to follow my statutes. And carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I want you to get this here. Look at the pronouns that God uses, look at the pronouns that He uses. Yahweh, the Creator God, the Father, is speaking. And here's what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart. I will place my spirit within you. I will cause you to follow me. I will be your God, and you will be my people. What Yahweh is trying to tell Israel and what he is trying to tell us in return is this. Is that you are not a product of your own merit. You are not a product of your own merit. Your life in Christ is wholly and completely a product of God's doing. Now, notice this a new heart, a clean body, a new spirit. What is happening here? What is happening? God is making a new person out of you. He's making you new. The old identity, the old man, the dead man has been taken away. And in its place, the new person. A new and completely different person. By God's grace and to God's glory, you are not who you once were. You are not who you once were by God's grace and to God's glory. Now, also, notice that God did not say, your problem is that you're not perfect. That's not what God said. He didn't say, your problem is that you're not perfect. So, uh, your leg is, is the, the probably uh, an issue because you can't run very fast. So, here's a new leg. He didn't say, uh, your problem is you're too weak, so here are some new muscles. He didn't say, your problem is you're not very coordinated, so here are some new hands. Now you won't sin anymore, so go do some things. What's the problem? What's the problem? You can change all those things. But the objective of God's replacement process is not to make humans who don't sin anymore and have better careers and better marriages. That's not the goal. That is not the goal of the church. The reason why we come here and the reason why my job sometimes baffles me is that I'm not I'm not communicating to you a physical reality. I am not saying here are six steps to do something better because doing it without the change of your person means absolutely nothing. And you could get that at Chester College. You could get that anywhere else, but not here. My job is not to create you a physical reality where your life looks better. My job is to communicate to you a spiritual reality whereby you are changed. And I can't do any of that. That's the frustrating part. I can't spiritually change you. All I can do is tell you how God is spiritually changing you. And that's as far as I can understand how it works. I have no schematic for spiritual transformation. I can't tell you the wiring that is done. I can't explain it. I can't understand it, but I know that it happens. Because by God's grace, I am not who I once was. God reached inside you and spiritually changed fundamentally the person you are from the inside out. Not so that you can be perfect. But so that you can love him. Not for your perfection, but so that you can love him. As a child loves his father. See, you have been given a completely new identity in God's kingdom. John says, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. That is your new identity. You are a child of God. We are children. And for adults, that can be hard for us to get. Why do I have to be... Nicodemus says, "I've already Why do I have to be reborn? I've already been born. I'm a grown man. How am I going to get back inside my my mother's womb?" It's hard for us to understand. But you are a child of God. That's the only way that the Bible explains it. Following God is not about learning tools and skills and moral lessons following God is not depicted in the Bible as master and student. It is nearly always, and it is also not, let me say this, about heavenly rewards versus hellish punishments. That is not the point of following after God. That is not the point of chasing after him. The point is about children spending time Quality time with their Father. That is the point. Acts 17, 29, we are God's offspring. Romans 8:14, those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Galatians 3:26, through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. You see where I'm going with this. First John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. And 1 John 5, 2, this is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. Over and over and over again, we are called the children of God. A.W. Tozer calls us a children of the burning hearts. Now first, you cannot have a burning heart that desires God and pursues God and thirsts for God and longs for God unless God has put this heart in you first. Second, children are those who have been given life by way of the parent. The only way that you as a child are here is because your parents are you cannot have children without parents. It, it doesn't work. I'm pretty sure. The father is one who gives life and love to a child. We have got to stop thinking about maturity in Christ as knowledge gained and behavior modified. If I, as a father, if I, as a father, train my children up with knowledge and trade skills and life goals, and they become smart and successful and sociable and respectable, but they hate my guts, and they resent me, then the process has failed them. I have not led them. I have not shown them what a father should be. The relationship of child father is gone. Because anybody can teach knowledge, anyone can teach behavior modification, but all this does is create humans who can act right, but their hearts aren't changed and they have no relationship, no love no compassion, no forgiveness. There is function, but there is no form. There is function, but there is no heart. There is physical movement, but there is no burning, desiring heart. Our hearts must be changed before we can follow. But see, we have a Father who leads. We have a Father who loves. We have a Father who is asking us over and over again, gently, but persistently, to follow Him. To learn how to love is to be loved by the Father. To learn how to forgive is to experience forgiveness by the Father. To speak truth is to hear and receive the truth spoken by a trusted Father. And it starts with your heart. Are you ready to live under this new and amazing identity as a child of God? Are you ready to live that life? So the Father says, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest. He is ready and willing to provide you with life and breath and meaning and hope and love. Are you ready to receive that? If you have not yet received it, if this is something that you do not yet know in your heart, I am changed, I would ask you to consider what life could be like following Jesus. And if after this service, if you would like to know more, if you want to follow him, if having your heart changed so that you can be changed is something that is, God is drawing you in and you cannot escape, our elders are available, our deaconess is available. There are people here who will pray for you. I would love to pray for you. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can go. All right? Jesus, you are asking us to be more than just Christians. You are asking for more than just obedience. You are asking for us to follow you. To leave behind the things of this world, to follow you. Jesus, I know this is not, I recognize this is not school, education. This is not this is not a military mission. This is not patriotism that I follow for your kingdom and your glory, but it is because you are my father. I am your child. And I trust you. Father, help us to trust you. Would you cleanse us? Would you do a work in us that enables us to live in our identity? Not to take it for granted. Not to waste it. God, to follow you with everything that we are and everything that we have. You are a good father. You are a trustworthy Father. You are a caring Father. You are a protective Father. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. Fellow children of one Father. That they would know you. That they would love you. Because they have been known by you and loved by you. That they would experience grace, that they would share grace and spread truth and love and and forgiveness and mercy because they have received truth love, forgiveness mercy. May we be children who desire you, who thirst after you who hunger for you